Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Hey there. Thank you for joining me today on The Moment. I want to get right to it because I have a, a really special guest. Um, Obviously, I think most people listening um, were either big or really big fans of Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell was one of those artists, especially if he grew up in the 60s and 70s. He was just always there, you know, whether it was television or radio or even some films. He was just ubiquitous and he was so charming and so likable that, you know, your parents liked him, your grandparents liked him, but you liked him too because everything just sounded really sweet to the ear, whether it was Rhinestone Cowboy or Wichita Lineman or whatever it happened to be. Glenn Campbell was a really important person in, in, the, in the, you know, pop culture landscape. He was also, you know, in addition to being that great polished television host, he was a monster guitar player. And that's one of the things I think gets forgotten about him, that he really, when he came to LA in the early 60s, he was a session player with the world famous Wrecking Crew. And, you know, he's heard on, on hundreds of records and different sessions, but he was just uh, an incredible guitar player. And if you ever can look up some of those clips of his lead playing, it's, it's astounding. He's like the, the Eddie Van Halen of his time in the mid-1960s. And so today I'm, I'm really fortunate to have on the show um, his first son, Travis Campbell. Travis, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for being here on The Moment. No um, problem. So everybody knows, full disclosure, Travis and I have known each other a number of months now. What, Travis, about six months or so? At least, yeah. And yeah. at least. And, and you, you and I started talking. Um, you reached out to me. You know, you, you have what I think is a really compelling story as a son and uh, as someone who's been through a lot, who went through a lot with your dad and, and your own story as well. So you and I have been uh, slowly working on the process. I mean, obviously, the, the whole virus shutdown, it doesn't help when you're, when you're pitching a book proposal. But we have, I think, a really compelling story that's going to make a wonderful book that we've been working on. And beyond that, I thought it would just be good to kind of have you on the show because your dad's name's been back in the news a lot lately. There's a new museum down in Memphis uh, dedicated to Nashville. Uh, Nashville. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nashville, Tennessee, um, dedicated to his life and uh, and other things as well. And and the other thing too that always struck me is when you first reached out to me, you know, for those we went through. I think your dad's illness, the, the nation, if not the world, kind of went through that. You know, it was so public and so poignant the way people experienced what was happening to him, and it you know forced the issue for a lot of people too about about how families take care of these matters or deal, you just deal with these matters. People our age, when your folks get old now, I think a lot of baby boomers realize the, the, the situation you and your siblings were in. But it also brought up these things where you told me, you know, there, there, there's other stories about my dad's life at the end that a lot of people didn't, don't know about, you know, these kind of sure. untold stories, which I thought were important to, to help get out as well. And we'll touch upon all this stuff today. But, but first of all, just for people listening, I mean, again, people who I'm assuming really love your dad, what are your, what are your first fond memories growing up? Um, and I know it's not just your dad too. And one thing the audience should know is that your mom, um, played a huge part in your dad's career, obviously a huge part in raising you. We'll talk about your mom as well, but what are your first memories say of growing up in Los Angeles, kind of understanding who your dad was and what he did? Well, when I was a kid, I mean, obviously it didn't, it didn't really sink in that, 
you know, who dad was. I mean, but when I was, when I was really little, you know, he did, he, he was part of the wrecking crew, you know, the studio musicians, right. that, um, you know, that, that sat in, you know, that, that were like the staple for, you know, for all the studio work that was going on at that time. And at that time, you know, we lived in the Hollywood Hills. This is prior to him having the show. And um, I, I mean, he, you know, I just knew that he, he, he obviously he sang and played music, played the guitar, practiced all the time. Um, but it wasn't really until after the show, you know, the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, where it really hit me. Wow, Dad's on TV. You know, I mean, I mean, that to me that was a big deal. You know, yeah. um, and I mean, and I and I actually didn't really even comprehend what an icon he is was. It's just still hard for me to talk to him, talk about him in the past tense. I mean, even though right. past, you know, a couple of years ago, but it, I didn't even realize what an icon he was. Um, until I got older, you know, cause, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a drummer. I grew up playing the drums. Um, you know, he, he tried to get me to play the guitar and, and I mean, I had a little guitar there. I have pictures, you know, playing guitar with them, but, but I like the drums and, um, you know, so when, when I was growing up, um, I mean, I mean, not, I mean, beyond as a little kid, kind of in my formative younger years. Um, I mean, I was a rock and roller. I mean, Zeppelin was my, my favorite group. You know, I mean, I mean, honestly, I thought that twangy stuff, you know, was for wimps, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I didn't really understand country music, you know, but, um, you know, but he had, he had, I, I enjoyed my dad's hits. I mean, his hits, a lot of his hits were crossovers, you know, and pop, you know, especially Ryan So Cowboy. And, um, and it's just, you know, again, I just didn't really realize exactly, you know, how famous he was until I got older. You know what I mean? You, um, you know, when you start getting older, I mean, in the late 60s, early 70s, your dad, like a lot of popular artists of the day, would take up residencies in Las Vegas, which afforded you some kind of fun little road trips, you know, during the summertime away from school, right? And, and there were some moments where your dad would sort of cross over with Elvis Presley, where they, they were kind of friendly, right? They were both kind of country boys who made it you know, big on the major stages. But you yourself would get to see what it was like when those two guys were in Vegas and sort of get swept up and the excitement right yeah um well the hilton but way back then it was, i believe it was called the international um that, right. that into the hilton in vegas and um yeah as a kid i, I used to love going there you know because um you know we could go where kind of pretty much wherever we wanted i mean because kids obviously weren't allowed in the casinos you know but um you know and and we stayed up there at the top of it which was like the artist suite the penthouse suite um i think on youtube there's still some youtube videos that, that show it but uh -huh. um yeah, I mean, basically, when people say, "Will you ever starstruck meeting someone?" I mean, for personally myself, uh, I mean, I, when I was older, I was starstruck, you know, meeting golf pros more than I was, you know, right. entertainers. But I definitely remember, you know, being in awe of Elvis. You know, what was he like? What do you remember about him? He was always just, you know, like a, you know, kind of like Dad, you know, just like happy-go-lucky dad guy that enjoyed, uh, you know, his music. I mean, Dad, when when well, I would see them is when they would like overlap. You know, Dad would be playing towards the end of Elvis's stint or Elvis was playing towards the end of dad's stint. And, um, and they would go to each other's shows, you know, they'd be in the audience, you know? And um, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, I remember my birthday, I think I was like 14, you know, something like that. I was just coming into puberty. And um, I mean, I don't know if I should even say this, but you know, I was like sitting there and um, you know, I'm sitting there and like kind of sitting on Elvis's lap and stuff. And he's like, Hey, try what, what, what do you want for your birthday? You know? And I'm looking around, I'm like, Hey, how about one of those showgirls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I guess, you know, I guess I was just, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, that's just funny. It's just something funny that I always remember. And and, I, and also I remember there they um it was they had uh, the elevator, you know, OK, you'd come out of the penthouse room and they had an elevator and the elevator would go down to the kitchen floor or I'm not sure what floor, but but you'd come out in the kitchen and then you'd walk, you'd go through some space or some areas and then boom, then you'd pop it to the dressing room, you know, and um, and it was it was it was always kind of neat. You know, I just thought it was just. It, you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to be there. You know? Well, you got to experience, I mean, obviously a lot of trappings of show business and entertainment. Um, when your dad really started hitting it big, your mom, uh, I guess you guys purchased a, a large seven or eight acre plot of land up in the Hollywood Hills. The Hollywood then, Hills. Yeah. And your mom had this incredibly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. But one, one last, one last memory from Vegas is I, I didn't realize it at the time, but they, I, you weren't supposed to see, um, um, Fred Fox, you know, the guy from Sanford and stuff. He, he played late night at like two o'clock in the morning at, at the, at the show at the theater there in Vegas. And I think I was like one of the few that were able to sneak backstage and watch Red Fox, you know, with all of his <laughs> cuss words and stuff, you know, I thought that was pretty neat. But yeah, what we were saying about the houses, yeah, we lived in the Hollywood Hills, um, basically off Allenwood Drive. I mean, if you're coming up from the city side, you come up Crescent Heights, um, you know, and then, and then you, you hang, hang left on Wonderland, and then there's Allenwood Drive right there. And we lived off of Allenwood for a long, long time. And then it was kind of around when Rhinestone Cowboy came out is when my mom ended up purchasing some property up at the top of Edwin Drive. It's kind of like real cool. I, mean, I don't know, it's about three blocks away, three, four or full blocks, you know, long blocks from the old house, but she chopped off the mountain and it was like a seven acre little property on top of, you know, on top of Mulholland there overlooking, overlooking the city and the valley. I mean, you could see all the valley lights right. turn around and you can see the city. And then, I mean, back then it wasn't all that clear. It's pretty small, but when it was clear, you know, you could see Catalina. You know, really so your mom, I mean, obviously was, was a, a driving force at home. She's getting the house built. She, um, you know, was very close with your dad, a, you know, a loving mom to you all as well. Had to be tough though, too, because your dad faced a lot of temptations, right? And oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, and, and when they first moved out here from Albuquerque, um, you know, she worked at a bank, she was a hairdresser, but she basically had the nine to five job, you know, that allowed them, kept them afloat, you know, while dad was pursuing his musical, you know, his, his music um, endeavors. And then, I mean, basically, you know, she did that for a long, long time until he finally started getting steady work, as I said, with, in the wrecking crew, you know what I mean? And then, and then after, and then what happened was, I don't know if you remember the Smothers Brothers show. Sure. Uh, yeah. He ended up hosting the sum, the summer show, I think it was called the Summer Brothers Summer Show or something like that, right. that, that dad ended up hosting. And then I believe they just liked how he did it. So they ended up giving him his own, you know, uh, Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour. Well, he was, I think he was that sort of rare breed where he wasn't just a, a super proficient musician, but he was also camera ready. And he had that, whatever that thing is that makes you a really compelling host, he had it. I mean, he really was so likable on television and such a oh. great, you know, again, he, he, he was just a good fit. And to have somebody with that kind of skill level that wasn't just photogenic, but also the talent, it was just very rare. 
and a great sense of humor. Great. Yeah, sense of humor. yeah. Just again, charming and likable, and appealed to so many different sort of groups of people that it was just uh, you know it was a big deal right out of the gate. And uh, you mentioned that summer replacement show did really well. He gets the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, and then he has one of the hottest variety shows in the world. Sure. Yeah, would that you go, Travis? As a kid, would you go hang out much, or remember going to watch the production or be part of that? Yeah, I do. I remember my mom taking me to a lot of them. And I mean, when I look back on it now, it's just, it was such a trip because, I, again, I didn't realize who all these icons were that were coming on the, on the show. I mean, you know, that Sonny and Cher. I mean, Stevie Wonder. I mean, even Cream played on there, um, you know, with Clapton. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was it was wild. I mean, when I you, you can go on YouTube now, and if you you know Google or whatever, you know the cream on Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, it'll it'll show you know, and and it's just wild because he introduces them as the cream. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the cream. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, no, I, I I don't know if they were called the cream then. I, someone told me because I I always I think for there. a minute they were actually I think I'm not sure he was wrong about that, but but it's so funny. I remember there's similarly there's a Mike Douglas episode when Moby Grape is playing and he introduces them as you know the Moby Grapes, and <laughs> yeah. you know it's those were normal slip ups. But I think in your dad's case, I think they may uh, there was some version that was the cream. The cream, yeah. I think someone told me because I was joked that you know he he didn't know that they were just cream, you know. They were the cream. Travis, there was also a moment that happened with you when Johnny Cash and your dad were doing a show together that I think is a really interesting story. Do you remember? Can you recount that? Yeah. Um, like, you know, obviously when dad had the good time, out, Johnny Cash had his show. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Cash's Christmas special, but they were filming for it. And we were, you know, I was sitting off stage you know, watching like I normally do. And they were, you know, going through one of their numbers. And then this gentleman came up and talked to Johnny, John in his ear. And then, and then things kind of got quiet and then John left the set. Uh, and then when he came back, uh, it was very somber. It was like a totally, totally different vibe in the studio. And I mean, I just, that, that's all I noticed or I could figure out at the time. It was just a totally different vibe. And, um, and what had happened afterwards that I found out is when I was talking to my father, you know, on the way home, he said that. I asked him, I said, what happened when John had to leave the set? He said that someone who was on death row was about to get executed. I believe it was Folsom. I could have been somewhere else. I might have been Folsom. Um, but that they were about to get executed, and their last request was to talk to Johnny Cash. And, um, and uh, you know, as you know, he, he, um, you know he, he was very involved with, you know, with, with the penal stuff and stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, so he talked to him before the guy, you know, was executed. And, and I, mean, I mean, that would, you know, kind of – shock anybody you're not really shocking but you know very very surreal you know yeah, of, um, course. Sure, of course sure when he came back i mean he was you know a little floored you know and you could definitely tell Man, I mean, just the thought of seeing those kinds of things growing up um, by the mid 70s after rhinestone cowboy comes out your folks they, they split up shortly after that um, you still remain close with your dad right i mean even course, though yeah. it's you know it's a it's a divorce and uh what I want to talk about, we're going to have a break up here in a couple of minutes, but, um, you know, you go away, you, you go abroad to go to school, right? You go to Switzerland, yeah, I, is it? I went to school in Switzerland, mm -hmm. um, in Lausanne, which is right outside of Geneva. 
and you go there and then um, you come back from time to time. You and your dad are still in touch. I mean, obviously his career goes through a lot of changes as well. And there was a lot, I mean, honestly, a lot of tabloid stuff after the divorce, you know, he had a series of other relationships, another marriage, the thing with, with Tanya Tucker, which was a huge, you know, tumultuous kind of tabloid. Well, I think one of the first real tabloid relationships that was captured. Do you remember when that was going on? <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, and it's funny because that, that's kind of part of like a story that I have from Switzerland. I mean, I, my mom sent me out there, um, you know, because she wanted me to get a good education. You know, I mean, I thought they spoke English, uh, but they don't. I mean, in, in, that, in that part of Switzerland, that canton, they, they speak French. They speak French, Italian, and Swiss German. But so anyways, it took me a while. I mean, my first, you know, I had to learn, speak, read and write French. But anyways, I had been out there for a couple of years and we're sitting there on the, on, it's called Lac Le Mans. They call it Lac Le Mans, it's Lake Geneva. But, and then, so we're sitting there and then all of a sudden this limo pulls up, you know, and, um, and I had never seen a limo in Switzerland ever, you know, and then I'm looking, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like that scene out of, um, you know, the Richard Gere thing, um, you know, I'm talking about Richard Gere when, when he pulls up in that limo. Pretty woman. You know? Pretty woman, right. <laughs> okay. So he pulls up in this limo and then my dad and Tanya are sticking their hair. You know, <laughs> they got their heads out of out of the top of the limo like, Travis, Travis. You know, and, and it was it was kind of a trip. You know, they pulled up and uh, I guess dad was doing a tour stint there in Europe. And uh, we ended up flying over to England. Uh, I guess he played in Paris, but we flew over to right. England and watched him play over there and came back. But it was... It was, um, it was, it was, it was a blast, you know? And then when I first went over to Switzerland, my mom was good friends with Priscilla, you know, Priscilla Presley. Mm -hmm. And then when I first went over to Switzerland, we, Priscilla came with us. Okay. We, we had checked out the school and I was going there to stay, but Priscilla was coming to check it out, um, you know, for, for their daughter, you know, for, um, uh, Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie. Yeah, Lisa Marie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, and, um, you know, and it, it was just, it was, it was, I mean, when I look back again, when I look back upon it now, it's just, it's wild, you know, all that the, was your life. Yeah, <laughs> Travis, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm speaking with uh, Glenn Campbell's son, Travis. I'm Chris Epting. This is the moment. We'll be back in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or a comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. I am back chatting today with my special guest, Travis Campbell, son of the legendary Glenn Campbell. Travis, you had been talking to me about uh, these crazy experiences, both here and abroad. You go to school in Switzerland while your dad is uh, with Tanya Tucker, which some may remember as was a really tumultuous tabloid relationship. I want to fast forward a little bit now. You know, through the 80s, you come back home. Your dad's remarried um, to a woman named Kim. They're living in Phoenix, I believe. You move in with them for a time. and resume your relationship and, and time goes on, but let's, let's fast forward ahead to um, a day you and your dad are playing golf and you start to notice that something's wrong or, or at least something peculiar. Can you describe what it's like the day you guys, and you both, again, your dad was a, was a golf was really his escape, right? It was a big golfer hosted many famous tournaments. You were a golfer. Golf was something you guys really shared a love over, right? Of course. And then uh, for those of that don't remember, he used to host the LA open. It used to be called the Glen right. Campbell. Right. And I mean, and again, I mean, back then, I mean, when I was growing up, I wish I'd have stayed involved with golf because, um, you know, we used to go to the driving range, stuff like that. But when I was a little kid, golf was for wimps. You know, I played baseball, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up, I ended up becoming a decent golfer. I got down to about a handicap, you know, and dad, um, you know, which was nice. But, but the, what you're talking about is uh, I, I live in Wichita. I ended up meeting the love of my life. I mean, my best friend in the whole world. Her name is Trudy. And, um, you know, and so I, I lived here in Wichita. And then when I used to go back to L.A. to visit dad, you know, we'd, we'd always go golfing. And when I first started noticing, um, you know, something different is, I mean, he, he's very, very jovial. I mean, he tells jokes all the time. But so we're, we're on our round, you know, playing around to golf. And he, he'd end up saying the same jokes, you know, like two or three times throughout the round, you know. And, and it just kind of struck me, wow, because he, he never really did. That. I mean, maybe twice, you know, I mean, he'd tell you the same joke twice. But right. I mean, you know, he'd, he'd be saying the same joke throughout the round. And, and that's when it kind of struck me that, wow, you know, something, you know, something's not there. I mean, I mean, and it sucks just to think because, I mean, like with Alzheimer's and stuff like that, we used to just consider it, you know, always getting old. You know, I mean, yeah. but, you know, I didn't it didn't really strike me. I mean, once once he once it came out with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and, you know, and that all became public, then it then it, you know, I flashed back to that moment saying, you know, so I guess this is the moment. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> I flashed back to that moment. And um, and wow, I mean, it really struck me. You know, he was he was starting to get it then. You know? And and but but back then it's what's neat is because I, I got to back up, tell a, a neat little story. Um, you know, afterwards, when um, when I still lived in Los Angeles, I belonged to Raymar Country Club out there in the Valley, and he would come out and play. You know, he'd come out and play with me. And then so I brought him out, and he, he even played in a couple of our member guests, which was really neat because he did a little show for the members afterwards, which was awesome. But one of my proudest moments is when um, 
okay, he, he came out and we're, we're sitting there, you know, eating breakfast, ready to go out. Um, and uh, the, you know, the pro, pro comes up to our table and he says, Mr. Campbell. And, and obviously my dad, you know, just instinctively turns around and gets up and, you know, and I said, dad, 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 relax, relax. I said, around here, I'm Mr. Campbell. You know, you're the, you're my guest, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. What a great moment. And, and Travis, for those that don't know, I mean, you, you know, you had also um, some addiction issues that you conquered. I, it had to be very proud for you when you, when you, you know, find sobriety, get on your feet, reestablish yourself to do things where your dad could see you in a light. Cause he went through a lot of things as well. I mean, you guys both, you know, whether there's a gene there or a shared gene or something, you both went through those things. And, and it was another, not that it's something you want to bond over father and son, but it was sure. something you could empathize with each other. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I am involved in a 12 step program that I've been involved with for the past six years. And, um, no. and it definitely helps me, you know, and, and, and then, but one thing I'm really glad I was able to do is when I was there visiting my father in Nashville. Um, I mean, I, I, it, it's weird because a lot of times, you know, you'd sit there, I'd sit there visiting with them and you'd sit there for a long time, you know, a couple hours and, and you wouldn't really see much, but sometimes it was just, I mean, it was totally worth it just to be there with him. But sometimes, you know, he, he, he'd look at you and you'd see a little spark and you'd see something in his eyes. It's like, I sure love you, son. I was like, wow, man. I mean, that's, those were just the time. I just get chill bumps talking about it right now. I understand. Well, let's, let's take a step back for a second. I mean, once you start to notice something on the golf course where he's repeating himself and it's not long after that, where you learn, um, I think watching TV or reading a magazine, the, the official diagnosis, because at this point, your dad, again, is remarried. He's started a new family. He has a number of, of, of other kids and things and the way, you know, the way people move on. But um, you learn about the diagnosis. And, you know, for a lot of people listening, I'm sure when they've had someone in their family receive the same diagnosis, it can be tough sometimes, isn't it? With who, who's responsible for everything and how much say you have, or even how much access you have to a parent or loved one. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't really understand the quite weird. Well, I mean, you, you started to notice that it wasn't as easy for you. Well, let's want to take one other step back. There was a, a final concert tour that was done. Okay that I know you and, and some other, your family members looked at with some concern because it was, well, why don't you tell the story of just how that all came about? Because we all, we all remember that tour. I mean, it was a very significant tour that received a lot of attention and, and a lot of great reviews and things like that. But there was, there was more to it that you were picking up. I want you describe your feelings about that final concert tour. It's, it's, it's kind of touching. I mean, for me, it's very sentimental. I mean, it was, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, it's called All Be Me. I've seen it. Basically what they did is they filmed, you know, the last tour. Dad, When you say they, but just step back, this was sort of a family production, right? It was your dad's then wife, Kim, right? And another director. I'll basically basically lay everything out what happened, okay? Um, They, dad had, uh, my, my sister Debbie toured with my father for over 20 years. Uh, I think it was close to 25 years that they toured together in his old band. So basically my dad's sound checks were, uh, I mean, my, my dad's rehearsals were the sound checks, you know, they'd come to the sound checks, he was ready to go. Right. And, and, and then my stepmom Kim, after, after dad became diagnosed with Alzheimer's, 
and it, it came to the point that he wasn't really cognizant of what was going on. And Kim took over. Um, basically, what she did is she fired my sister Debbie. She fired his old band and and put you know my my half brother and sisters in, which is great. I mean, I'm glad they had a great time, you know. But but in my opinion, they shouldn't have fired the old band because something that you want with someone with Alzheimer's is familiarity. You know, I meant to to fire his old band that he's so comfortable with and stick in all these new players, and um, and then basically they it was supposed to. Dad wanted to do twelve shows. He originally wanted to do twelve shows. They ended up doing a three year, 152 show jaunt around you know around the, the United States. You know, it was scheduled to go to to Australia as well, and they did it in, in the UK. Um, and I mean, basically. It, it, it's totally my opinion, but in my opinion, I think he would have much rather preferred golfing with his buddies, you know, than to be doing these shows back, back to back to back to back to back. I mean, if you look on a list, it's like it's like three pages, two five pages. I mean, it was back to back to back to back. I mean, some some a musician in their early twenties would have a hard time doing that, let alone someone in yeah. their you know mid seventies. Well, and if right, and if you see the documentary, I mean, it's clear that there were lots of challenges as the tour progressed and his condition um, deteriorated. There were uh, the challenges began mounting just to how as how you get through a tour like that, and sure. and it's and it's documented. And I guess on the one hand. You're showing people um, that maybe can pull something positive out of how you deal with this as a family. On the other hand, I, I, I also heard people wonder if he wasn't being pushed to a limit that maybe wasn't appropriate at that time. I think it's a fair sure. point of view. Sure. I mean, I mean, granted, I, I, I'm glad that it brought awareness to Alzheimer's and and you know what people have to go through, but I don't. I I just was frustrated with the fact that it did that. You know, to the belittlement of my father. How, I mean, Joe, showed, how, how much do you licking a plate? They showed him peeing in a corner. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Kim was talking about his libido. I mean, it, it, it was just stuff that, honestly, it, it repulsed me. It, it really did. I, I can't even watch it these days. You know. Um, I understand. I, I totally understand. How much do you think he was involved? Because my when I was watching it, what I kept wondering was, what was the decision making process? Did he have a vote in this? Or again, it's hard to say, but in your opinion, how much do you think he was in control of extending a concert tour to the limits, the level that it um, was? I mean, I know for a fact, my sister Kelly was in a limo with him in New York okay, when they were going to play. Okay. My dad broke down and started crying, said, Kim, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this tonight. I, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Kim started telling dad. And this is per Kelly, per, you know, a source that was in the car. You, yeah. you don't want to disappoint your fans, Glenn. You know, everybody's there. They want to see you, you know. Um, I mean, I'm sure there were times where he enjoyed being on stage, but I'm sure there were times where he did not enjoy being on stage. Um, I meant something that hopefully might be in the book is, you know, I have a letter from a promoter that was, and I didn't, I didn't solicit this letter. I mean, this is, this is a letter that, that I received, you know, when we were trying to, trying to pass a bill in, in Tennessee, you know, to, to give, you know, rights to visitation rights, you know, to, to see my dad, you know, um, we'll I get mean, to that. We'll get to that full story after the next break. Sure. But, um, I mean, and again, I mean, well, what was hey, the letter I, that I'm promoted? So glad, the I'm so glad that my stepbrothers and sisters got to do that with my dad because I'm sure they had a blast. I'm sure they will never, you know, forget it. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the one of the highlights of my time is when dad played in Branson, you know, and I got to sit in on the drums for a couple of months, <laughs> you, know? I mean, that, you know, that was great, you know, and and um, and then currently, I mean, we're still good friends with Tanya, Tanya Tucker. And uh, both, I love, when, when I go see her on the road, you know, she lets me sit in on the drums and we do some of dad's songs, which is, which is great. I mean, it's just real. She's such a sweetheart, man. I love her to death. Travis, when you were just alluding to a note from a promoter, what was what was behind that? Finish that anecdote. Basically, I mean, he was saying that, um, I mean, to, to, to try to do a gist of, okay, in the rider, when Debbie used to go with dad. It was and a rider, just so you know, a rider, describe what that is for folks well, who don't know. It's the contract. It's like whatever the, the contract is for the hotel and whatnot. But basically, it was, it was, it was mandatory that Debbie's room was right next to dad's, okay? Because um, Debbie took care of dad on the road. And basically what happened, I guess they left that in the writer. So Ashley's room was right next to dad's. And Ashley's Debbie is obviously your dad's first child. Sure, sure. And, and the oldest. And, and Ashley is one that he had with Kim. Uh-huh. And then basically she was just upset that she didn't want to be next to dad because she couldn't get any rest. And I mean, and it, it just it just breaks down everything that had happened during that show. It was a show in Branson. Um, you know, that people were going backstage to take pictures with dad. He, he was like clueless. Um, I mean, it was like he was, dad was just being paraded around like a monkey, you know, and it, it, it really upset me. And again, I didn't even ask for this, 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 you know, this letter that I was sent, you know, and, and I mean, again, you know, I, I you know, I don't want to put too much negative into it because I mean, I love my dad. And again, I'm sure there were moments where he really enjoyed it. You know, but I'm sure, again, there were moments where he wished that he didn't have to go do it because the whole yeah. climax of the I'll Be Me, I mean, they filmed him and filmed him and filmed him until he broke, down, he broke down on stage in Napa, California. And then after that, it was like the climax they needed to, to finish the documentary. You know, I, mean, I, I always wondered about that because the question obviously becomes, well, if he hadn't had that sort of breakdown, would, they, would the tour just would have rolled on, I guess? It was right. supposed to continue on into Australia, you know, and then, and then the other thing, I mean, I mean, uh, granted, I don't care if I'm, I'm in it or not, but we had set up to talk to, uh, I, I don't even want to mention the guy's name, but we had set up to talk to, you know, with the producer of the documentary to, you know, sit down and at least say, oh, I'm so proud of dad, this and that. And then they totally discluded, um, you know, Dylan, Kane and myself, you know, from, from the whole deal. Which were children from, from previous marriages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously there's, it's, it's always tough when you've got um, multiple families that are, have to sort of sort this stuff through. But I think what should probably never be an issue is the freedom to be able to visit somebody. And what I want to, what I want to get to after the break, we can kind of set up here is that um, once the concert tour was done and then uh, I don't know how long after the concert tour but it then was, I'll, I'll kind of set it up i mean in my opinion again i mean yeah. the concert tour like i said i'm sure dad enjoyed some of it but in my opinion it was the last dash or cash money grab okay mm-hmm. after the concert was done dad hated nashville he didn't like it he liked warm weather they i mean he told you that yeah that's something you heard yes. from him yes yes they, they they sold the house in malibu and moved to nashville i mean uh-huh. i know dad hated nashville that's why he never moved there throughout his whole career Mm-hmm. You know, either lived in Phoenix or, or LA. So, what do you what do you surmise? What 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 prompted the move to Nashville? What was the what might have been behind it? This is my opinion, but just to to get the insider connections, you know. And I mean, Dad. I mean, it was obviously Dad was not doing well. Um, 
you know, and just to, you know, just to get the insider connections while he was still alive, you know, insider connections to, to make more music. music Sure. Exactly. You know, I meant to, you know, and, and again, I mean, I'm just stating my opinion. Yeah. Well, look, you're entitled to it. And, and from that point you begin, um, you know, you, again, you reconnect with your dad again, and there's a series of visits at the facility where he's in Nashville and you and your sister, Debbie and your wife, Trudy go there. Right. And, and you begin to visit and this is what we'll get to after the break, but, but there is, you know, um, you remember you were telling me earlier before, no, off the air, Travis, that there were one or two visits in particular that really stood out to you because you would bring pictures, old photos of your dad, and that would prompt memories, right? Sure. Like you yeah. a picture of Elvis Presley or he'd play guitar. What do you remember about one or two of those first visits of what it was like when he was really beginning to feel the effects of this disease and how hard it was to be there and watch this? When I first went in to see him, you know, okay, we're in there and and yeah, I mean, we were walking through the hall and we, we come in and he's sitting there watching golf. And as soon as he sees Debbie and I, he starts clapping. Like, yeah, he's like so happy to see, see him. I mean, he was just so happy. And then you know, we had a great visit, had a great visit. But for me personally, I, it was really rough for me because he wasn't the same guy. You know, he wasn't, I mean, obviously, you know, Alzheimer's had, had uh, you know, taken, it's, you know, had, had started to take its toll, you know, um, and I personally, I remember I went in the room and, and I just bawled for a little bit, you know, I mean, I just, it just, it was really rough. It was, it was really rough on me, you know, and, and then, um, you know, so, and then we were talking about the pictures and stuff. I mean, they, they had like these, these kind of like scrapbook deals that some of the fans, I think it was Linda Sadowski, Lenny, you know, and, and Kevin Lemons, they, you know, they'd put these books together for him. And there was old books and there's pictures of Elvis and stuff. And, and he's like, look, he's like, look at those sideburns, you know, and it was, you know, neat stuff like that. And, um, I mean, and I just remember that that day, you know, when we were leaving, he kind of grabbed me. He said, son, he said, get me out of the shithole. You know, I'm son. I hope I can say shit. Crap. Okay. Yeah, crap. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I no mean, you know, and, and it just, wow. I mean, it just really hit me. Nah, it just, wow. I mean, almost, well, it's kind of, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's rough even recounting it now, you know. It's, it's, I understand. Travis, we're going to take one more quick break on that note. When we come back, we're going to hear what happens after he, he whispers that to you. Um, and uh, it gets a little tougher from here. So talking with Travis Campbell, I'm Chris Epting. This is The Moment, and we will be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, 
philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Hey there, we are, I'm talking with Travis Campbell today. Travis, right before the break, you described this um, very intense meeting with your dad who is suffering you know, advanced stage Alzheimer's at this point at a facility in Nashville, Tennessee, and he whispers to you that he wants out of this place badly, right? Um, is it a day or so later that you go back again? And there, is that when there's an issue about trying to see your dad again? What happens now, exactly? Basically, it was the next day. Um, uh-huh. And it's you and, your, you and your wife and your sister, Debbie. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Um, originally, we found out he was placed in a home through the media. Okay, that, that's, that's how I found out that dad was put in a, you know, in a memory care facility. Um, you know, I mean, I, I thought that, you know, he, he had, you know, throughout his lifetime, you know, acquired enough respect and the funds available to be taken care of at home, but he didn't think so. Um, Anyways, that, that was the first day, okay, when, when we, that what I explained prior to the break. Okay, yeah. The next day, we come up to the facility, and, it's, and we're, we're trying to come in. And then what happens is the, the, um, the person that's letting us in says that um, Glenn doesn't need any visitors, you know. Glenn doesn't need any visitors right now because, you know, he doesn't think, Kim, does, Kim doesn't think Glenn needs any visitors. And then I asked, well, where is Kim? Turns out Kim was in New York promoting the All Be Me. Um, you know, she went around the country, you know, doing the docu- promoting the documentary. Yeah, that's been you know, done. Doing the red carpet stuff with the documentary. And then, and then I'm kind of, you know, for de- for for bazzled or dazzled or whatever. <laughs> I'm making up a word here, but um, I was really upset. And, and they said, well, no, no, Kim thinks that you know, Dad shouldn't be having a visit. So I was really upset. I went outside. I called um, dad's manager. Um, I'll just say it. I won't mention any names. I called dad's manager and I said, listen, I said, unless I go in to see, unless I'm able to go in and see dad, like we did yesterday, you know, because I only had a couple of days when I was there in Nashville. I said, I'm going to have the, the TV cameras down here and this is going to be a big deal. Okay. And, um, Basically, about 15 minutes later, they came out and they said, okay, Kim said you could go in and see, see your dad. So basically, we went in, you know, had, a, had another day, which was great. Um, I mean, it was, I enjoyed that day a lot more because the first day, it, like I said, it really struck me emotionally, you know, because dad wasn't dad anymore. You know right. What I mean? And it, it, I mean, the, the first day it really hit home. Like when I said, I went in a room and was crying that, you know, it, it just, wow. I mean, it, it's not going to be like, Hey dad, what's up? You know? And I mean, and it's just strange because like, you know, when you mentioned the golf thing, 
um, I, you know, on Father's Day, because on Father's Day every year, it's when the U.S. Open is playing, you know, mm-hmm. it's played. And I always, you know, every Father's Day, you know, we'd call and, you know, especially on the Sunday, of, you know, which was Father's Day, it'd be the last day. And we'd always talk about who's leading or this or that. I mean, he just loved, you know, dad loved golf, you know. But, um, yeah, so I had to go to those measures just to go back in and be able to see my father. And you know, starts, what happens, again, to jump ahead a little bit more here, is that you begin to sense that this idea that you're not going to be, or there may be times where you're not going to be allowed to see a parent needs to be addressed. So you decide, you and a number of other people decide to uh, get something done about it. So what, what do you do exactly? Because again, what you do ends up being very important eventually. Yeah. Um, well, basically what, what Debbie and I did is we started some court action that would allow us to see dad and we wanted an outside third party to, um, you know, to be able to, to take care of the finances. Okay. And, um, and through that, and, and, oh, and then at that time, okay, th- this is when I became involved with the case, Carrie Kasem, um, Casey Kasem's daughter with the Kasem Karis foundation. She, she was so incredibly helpful. Our organization with Kathleen Brom, Kelly Rooney, you know, and myself and, and Carrie, Carrie, such a doll. She was so incredibly helpful. Um, it, basically, what we ended up doing through the Tennessee state legislature, or the Tennessee legislature, state legislature, legislature, is we passed a bill that was based on the Case Some Cares Foundation bill, which was originally passed, I guess, in California. I, I'm not sure if that was the first place it was passed, but um what, what I do now is I'm involved with the Case of Cares Foundation, and we go around to various states talking to legislators, giving our testimony. But you, um, got, our, something pa- but you got something passed in Tennessee, yes. right, that would prevent people from not being able to see um, parents or loved ones, exactly. right? That they couldn't be denied um, visitation or they couldn't be denied telephone calls or mail. You know, um, which was a very big deal. I mean, oh, sure. It was it was a huge deal, you know, and and um, and Tanya, Tanya helped us, too. She went down and testified in front of the, you know, in front of the Senate there. And uh, yeah, it was it was a huge deal. Travis, the people you were working with, um, like Casey Casey's daughter, did they have similar experiences to yours where there was some barricade or barrier placed in your way from seeing a loved one? I mean, in, in, incredibly. I mean, I'm not sure if, if you don't know the story, what happened with Casey Kasem, um, just Google it. I mean, it's yeah. huge. I mean, no, it, I remember. It, yeah. And then pretty much the same thing happened with Kelly, you know, her, her dad, Mickey Rooney. Um, you know, it was basically the same thing. And see, at the time, see, both of their fathers had, had passed, okay, at this time. My dad was still alive, you know, I'm right. to do this. And, um, and then, so, uh, and again, they were just so helpful. And then basically what had happened is after the bill passed, we had, we had settled our, our, our court action. We had settled our court action, but basically what had happened was the, since we had settled the court action the, prior to the bill passing, it didn't really affect our case, but it, the, the great part about it is, I mean, it'll affect people that I, that, that, you know, us in the case of CARES foundations that we'll never meet. You know I mean? That, that's one, that's one, that's the beauty about this whole thing um, is that, you know, what we're doing affects people that we'll never meet. You know what I mean? 
Right. Um, right. And then, you know, and then uh, on my visitation that we were, you know, allotted, which, 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 you know, was, was greatly emphasized in the press is, you know, I was only able to see my dad twice a month for four hours at a time. That's the only time I was able to see my dad. Okay. And, and it just, yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it was hard, you know, it, it was a really, really hard time. And, um, well, I think it's an important story because, again, people go through this maybe not with household names, but their parents nevertheless. And I think what you all did within Tennessee of going in and getting this bill passed was really important. Um, you felt pressure you, or you received pressure back, right, from Kim or your, or your oh, family members? Oh, big time, big time. Like I said, I mean, when I say I was only, it was both Debbie and I, you know, and, and um, you know, and it, it was... Yeah, exactly. We see pressure. I mean, and with the Kasem Karras Foundation, I mean, you know, we even went to, you know, to the Capitol, to D.C. and, and we talked to senators and whatnot, trying to pass this on a national level. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, at first I was really nervous. I used to be really nervous standing up and, and, you know, giving my experience, you know, in front of the legislators. But mm-hmm. um, once you realize that, I mean, it helps. I mean, sure. I mean, it, it's kind of like a star quality with, you know, the daughter Casey, uh, Carrie, uh, daughter of Casey Case and daughter of Mickey Rooney and, and myself, you know, but I mean, that's just to get, you know, a foot in the door. I mean, sure. our, our cause is so good. And um, and what we can accomplish, like I said, affects millions of people that we'll never meet. And, and that, that's the beauty that, you know, it just feel good trying to help other people. Do you think, I mean, obviously that kind of tension that exists, other people listening, I'm sure have family scenarios where there's conflicts among first, second or third families or whatever. But there were um, people on in your camp, on your side, that would actually receive kind of legal threats to not speak. I mean, is that true? Am I, am I representing that properly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it Lisa? Bloom? Yeah. The yeah they got, they got, yeah. They got cease and desist letters um, from, from, from criticism from doing what, why would people in your camp receive legal? Basically telling the truth. Um, and it was, they were, you know, and it basically was thinking that it was disparaging Kim. It was basically not disparaging Kim. It was just telling the truth. Or your opinion. I mean, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but um, truth is a lot stronger than an opinion. You know, I mean, you can have your opinion on something, but the truth is right there. You know, um, Travis, what was it like when your dad passed away? I mean, because that uh, I know I know it was hard on everybody. But for you specifically, what do you remember about um, about when that happened? Okay. well, here's what happened. Um, uh, Kim, Kim was nice enough. She, she called up and said that, you know, your father's not doing well. You should probably come down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, when the day it happened, uh, uh, Debbie is able to fly. She, she is, um, you know, she, she, she's able to fly a lot, you know, but basically she was there. Uh, Trudy and I were on our way driving down there, uh, when we got the word that he passed. And, and I, I think I'd seen him, I don't know, two, three weeks prior to that. The last time, but um, you know, we were driving down there, and as it turns out, you know, I mean, it's probably you know a godsend that we weren't there because, as it turned out, uh, Kim wouldn't let Debbie into the room when Dad passed. Walked her out of the room. You say and let her into the room. You mean literally would not allow her? I mean, forcibly literally her would from not me. allow my sister who was there to enter the room when my father was taking his last breath. Closed the door and made her stay outside. Um, I'm not, I mean, 
I think it was out of spite. You know, I mean, you can think of however you want. You know, I mean, my my stepbrother Dylan was in there. I had aunts and uncles in there. Um, you know, and she literally and and I and I and I told Trudy later on. I said probably a really good thing that we weren't there because it would have been ugly. You know, I I would have gotten into the room. I probably probably would have been. You know, I probably would have been arrested, but, um, what do you mean? Um, you know, cause I would have, I would have gotten in the room, you know, I would have, broken, okay. you would have you know, forced your way in. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, I would have forced my way in, um, you know, and it's just, I, I don't know. That, that's one thing I still kind of doesn't sit right with me, you know, that they wouldn't let Debbie in. Well, I mean, moving on, uh, you know, from this point, I mean, obviously I, I, you know, I think your story matters. I think, you know, your, your sister Debbie wrote a book, about life with your dad and, and, and everything, but before a lot of this stuff happened. So there are a lot of incomplete pieces. Yeah, and, no, definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, and um, there's a, the museum that opened up now. You you all aren't part of that, right? That's something that came <laughs> your head. I know. There's a funny story because um, there's a rhinestone cowboy suit, you know, that, that's in the museum. And it was actually a friend of Debbie's that has the original suit. The one that he wore in the, in the famous video, yeah, you mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And um, and as it turns out, um, from what, I mean, this is <laughs> what I gather secondhand, but it's coming from Debbie, so it's, it's pretty much firsthand. I mean, basically, she was going to provide the suit to the museum, you know, it, you know, just granted if all the kids could be involved, you know, be involved in the museum. So that didn't happen. So I guess Kim had ended up having another suit made, another rhinestone cowboy suit. And then in the little in the little frame deal in the suit, it says that this isn't the original suit because the original suit was stolen. Oh boy! <laughs> I mean, well, it's never ending. It just seems it's never ending. I mean, it's just it's. Well, whenever you have, I mean, obviously, when there's celebrity involved and there's, I mean, clearly money involved and legacies and all that sort of thing. I mean, look, this isn't the first time that there's been um, public ugliness or wars over this stuff. And it won't be the last, unfortunately. It's just how it plays out sometime. But I think the fact that you and your group did something productive in terms of changing the law and making it so that people can't be shut out, I think that's really important. You know, And that's when we get down to your story, that's going to be a lot of it, of what people can do today and uh, the rights that people have. Right? I think that's really important to remind people they have rights when a family member is stricken with a disease this bad, as well as other diseases. And I think that's a good legacy we're all building. Yeah. And then one, one thing, um, you know, in, in recovery, um, you know, you, you, boy, you ask people to forgive you and you try to forgive people. And I, one thing, you know, I, I've really struggled, you know, to forgive, you know, my stepmom, you know, I mean, and it's hard for me, but even, even if I can, you know, achieve that, that state, you know, where I can forgive her, I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what is it? You know, blank me once, shame on you. Blank me twice, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> Way more to come on this. Travis, we're about out of time here. Listen, man, I appreciate you hanging out for the hour and telling a little pieces of your story. And I'm anxious for the world to hear the rest of your story. My guest has been Travis Campbell today. I'm Chris Septing. This has been The Moment. Thanks to our engineer, Aaron Keller, today. And we will see you next week here on The Moment. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. 
Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. 